Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, everybody. Pat Bulger here in the Pack Filler Studios. And you know what? It's not very often somebody gets to speak to one of the legends. And I was fortunate enough to have that opportunity tonight. Mark Hodgson, my co-host extraordinaire, not with me tonight, but that gives me a chance to uh, touch base with the great John Howard, legend in the sport of cycling. If you do not know who John Howard is, Boys and girls, go look him up because you are not truly paying attention to where the sport has been and how it got to where it is now. John Howard has done some very amazing things from being on a bike going 152 miles an hour to competing in the Ram to winning some incredible races throughout his incredible career. And, and now he's he's leading a lot of things in the coaching world. And I was able to catch up with John and talk to him about his career and talk to him about the state of cycling, talk to him about triathlon, by the way. John is a winner of the Ironman Hawaii. So for all of our listeners, it's a pretty special treat here that we get to do this. So without further ado, right after the new theme, be sure to drop me a note, tell me what you think of it. I'm going to be on the air with the great John Howard. Drop us a note. Tell us what you think. Rank us on iTunes. Packfiller.com is our website. This is the Packfiller Podcast. Packfiller. Packfiller. I'm Pat Bolger. I'm Mark Hudson. Welcome to another episode of the Pack Filler Podcast, home to every bad or 
dumb ass who's ever straddled a top tube. You can be a part of the show on Facebook, Twitter, or dumb old email at info at packfiller.com. Listen while working, training, or just sitting and sipping a cold one. And now your hosts, Pat Bulger and Mark Hodgson. All right, everybody, it is a really nice uh, pleasure to have somebody on the phone with us here who's, boy, I'm going to give you just a kind of a, a, a Reader's Digest version, I guess we could say, of some of the amazing accomplishments this guy's done within his career. Um, starting, well, not starting off. In 1981, this guy won the Hawaii Ironman. He's got a bicycle speed record of 152.2 miles an hour. Yeah, I'll pause for effect on that one. Um, over 18 total national championship road cycling wins, including four elite national champion winners. He's been on three Olympic teams. He won the night. Uh, oh, I'm going to have to look up the year again. He won the Pan Am Road Race. Incredible other accomplishments, including founding of the Race Across America and his own company, John Howard Performance Sports. I'd like to say welcome to the show to the great John Howard. How are you, John? I'm doing fine, Patrick. Thank you. Absolutely. You know, I've first of all, I just want to tell you how how great of an uh, I don't mean to sound cheesy, but kind of an honor this is for me to have you on. I've been personally, I've been uh, I've been a competitive cyclist since the the early '80s, and I know you have been doing it for far longer than that. And um, it just it's it's a great pleasure to have you on and to be able to talk to you about your perspective in the sport after so long that you've been involved and and been going on for so long. And, and still goes on. Absolutely. You know, your career of over four decades with 18 national championship wins, what, what, how do you do it, man? What do you attribute to such a long career? Well, a lot of, the, of those were Masters events, and I competed in the mass, USA Cycling Masters uh, national championships. Uh, I, I don't really think of myself as a prolific racer I, I pick and choose and generally uh, pick the bigger events like the nationals and really focus the training the training is everything and, and that preparation has been honed from uh, a base of 35 40 years so I've learned exactly what it takes to take a master cyclist myself being the the uh, uh, the bellwether of that and building a training regimen that truly does get results. And there's no guesswork. It's we look at the event, we try to figure out exactly what it's going to take uh, and, and really explore the science of training in, in many, many different ways. And it's, it's, I look at it as a creative process and that training program design is, basically how I've built my uh, business. Uh, we've had 178 national championships won wow. by athletes that I've worked with. Uh, I think the last count was 18 world championships and two Olympic gold medals. And that's conservative. We don't <laughs> count everything. And uh, I have several key players in this mix. Um, 
that have have added to those numbers, but it's uh, it's always an exciting process and and an exploration, and I enjoy every piece of the puzzle. Now, is there you being involved and in being able to get so many athletes to such a high level and to be doing this for for your entire time in your coaching and your your own personal career? Um, talk to me about the U.S. cycling scene compared to when you first came into national and international prominence and and what you're seeing now i mean has the sport changed that drastically of course we're seeing equipment changes um how talk to us how the preparation has changed it's gone from bush league to real professionalism and of course that's exciting to me having yeah. having uh uh, explored that whole gamut of, of evolution from the 1960s until now. Uh, very, very, very different. And it's, it's uh, not just the preparation, but of course the equipment. We all yeah. are aware of the, how, the, how equipment has changed. Um, my uh, uh, first ride in the, in the uh, Ironman to switch gears uh, back in 19. <laughs> 1979, I think it was, uh, last Hawaii Ironman on Oahu, I rode a, a Chinelli road bike, weighed about 24 pounds, a real classic. Yeah, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Completely restored, but but the, I, I pick it up today, and I cannot imagine how I went four hours and 28 minutes and changed a flat tire in the process <laughs> on that 112 mile course. I just can't imagine how that could be done, but somehow, some way, I, I did it. Uh, and I think you know, you you look at the bikes of, of that era, and I still have a fleet of these old bikes, steel. All of them are steel, uh, and they're really more art than anything else. Uh, they don't have the feel of, of anything modern. They have a kind of craftsman's old world look and, and feel to them. Uh, and to think that that was state of the art when I was racing back in the, in the 60s, uh, it's, it is pretty remarkable where, yeah. where, where things have come in the, in the, uh, the car, mostly the, you know, the titanium carbon fiber uh, realm of today. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, if you were to pick, um, just I'm going to bounce around with your career here too, also mixed in with the stuff you're doing with your coaching, is there a specific moment or race or experience you would rate as one of your high points with, with all the incredible accomplishments you've done within your career? Well, I I have events that I think were, were important to the sport, and by no means are my events the only ones. I think that there were two events that, that helped bring money into cycling. Okay. Uh, back in in uh, 1971, I won the the uh, Pan American Games road race in Cali, Colombia. Uh, that helped trigger funding from the uh, USOC, United States Olympic Committee. Yeah. Uh, and that was important because prior to that, there was no real money, and we we didn't even get money for uh, attending major events, nothing. It was just no start money. There was just no money, period. And you needed to either have money or have someone helping you, 
sponsoring you uh, unofficially because it was very much part of the Avery Brundage era of yeah. amateurism. Uh, so you needed to have a base of support uh, in order to compete, period. Uh, and all that changed. It changed slowly, but that that victory in Cali uh, on the on the uh, in the foothills of the Andes, uh, very hilly, tough road race, where I beat uh, Carlos Flores, who was a, a world silver medal uh, in the previous world championship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that triggered funding, and the other event that I think was important was Jack Symes. Uh, silver medal in the world championships in Uruguay, which was, I think, a a year later, uh, as I recall. So those two events, I think, helped really start the revolution toward funding cycling, and and, and, uh, that was significant historically. Yeah. Now, you you speak of the concept of, of the lack of financial support. How were you able to travel to all these events? Was this out of pocket? Was this some mysterious donor? Was this? I mean, no. Well, yes and no. I I had uh, I had I had backers. Uh, yeah. Ray Florman from St. Louis, who owned a a big bike shop in in A One Cycle in St. Louis, Missouri, was a was a big supporter, and he uh, he contributed to my well-being and that was that was just because he was a great guy yeah, and he yeah. he became my uh my uh, helper everywhere i went he, we traveled together and in his ford econoline van all over the midwest <laughs> and down to florida to race across florida tour so ray was a big help to me and um i had a fairly successful business that my brother and i started a lawn maintenance company back in Springfield, Missouri, and we we had it perfected after a few years, and it, it put us both through college. So wow. we, we built that company just because we we needed funding, and, and that was, uh, you know, because he, he was into motorsports and I was into cycling, and we, we needed something to... Uh, to fuel that fire. Yeah. Okay. Now, your you, the way your career took and the way you ended up. I've, I've I've read some interviews with you dealing with things in 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 terms of your European opportunities and where things went for you. Uh, if I'm if correct me if I'm wrong, a little stint potentially with the TI Raleigh Group. Um, what your pre- European opportunities were there for you at the time, and which ones did you capitalize on? Which ones did you just say, "Oh, I got to pass on this one at this time"? Obviously, the European connection was not as strong as it could be now. We didn't have the U.S.-based teams. We didn't have that support. Um, what what things kind of came across your way, and what ones were were too tough to to kind of continue with? Oh, it's pretty simple, really. I I raced for Raleigh. Uh, out of Princeton, New Jersey, Raleigh. Raleigh was the first real sponsor that of any club, um, as far as I'm I'm aware. And they sponsored the Century Road Club of America, and that was my team. And it was headquartered in Princeton. So I spent a fair amount of time on the East Coast, although I lived in Houston, Texas at the time. So I spent my summers racing uh, in New England, and winners back in Houston. So it wasn't wasn't too bad. It could have been better. But uh, the opportunity came uh, a few years later, I think about seven, after I raced in, the, in my, my last Olympics in uh, Montreal 
in 76. Uh, Carl Barton at uh, Raleigh, which was headquartered in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, found uh, a, a strong connection, of course, with with T.I. Raleigh. That was the big pro team at the time. They oh, were yeah. winning most of the races. They they uh, they were the strongest team in the Tour de France, and um, the opportunity was there to join that that team and. The decision was made not to do it, and that was totally my decision uh, for a variety of complicated reasons, oh, yeah. uh, including language and the the culture of the time. And I won't go into too much detail there because <laughs> I don't want it to sound like sour grapes. But <laughs> I just didn't feel that the, the time was right to for me to to, to live in Europe at that time, and. and in retrospect, it may, may have been a mistake, and it certainly would have allowed me to be the first American to ride the Tour de France, yeah. but instead, uh, my good friend Jacques Boyer got that. Yeah. So I don't have any regrets about it. I just It was just the way things were, and it ultimately led to my intro into triathlon, which was also a timely thing, I believe. Yeah. You know, when we do have a, a very large triathlon uh, following with the show, and I'd, I'd, it's a perfect time to kind of segue a little bit into that. What 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 sent you there? And and wow, you know, you've you found some. I guess, I, and I please accept this as a compliment. Some very non traditional arenas in which to to venture out into your career with with the race across America, with triathlon, with the speed record, and things like that. What what sends you in these directions? Well, uh, I'm not sure. I, I I really haven't given it a whole lot of thought. It just seemed like the thing to do. I wanted to be, I was uh, unceremoniously booted off the national team after 10 years. And that's probably, at that point, was certainly a record for anybody being on the national team. Uh, but with no regrets uh, at this point, uh, I I just accepted it and, and decided it was time to switch gears. And at that point, I I had my own little personal trilogy in mind. I wanted to do things that were outside the realm of of conventional sports. And, and triathlon was so new, and it was so exciting to me to to do something I had done in, in high school and college, and that was uh, swim, bike, and run, <laughs> and combine the three. And it, it was, uh, sports science was on a very primitive level then, and we didn't have any idea. The benchmark was probably way too extreme with Ironman. Uh, but that was the history of the sport, and if you chose to, to do triathlons, you did Ironman, because that was really the only yeah. event. And it took me several years to to capture that. I had three, as I said, three three events in mind. I wanted to win Ironman uh, in Hawaii. Uh, I wanted to, um, and this was a goal I'd had since I was 12 years old, and I wanted to win or break the world bicycle speed record, uh, which at that point was 139 miles an hour, set by <laughs> Dr. Alan Abbott in 1973. So that was uh, that was those were two of my my goals. And the third one was to win uh, the inaugural uh, race across America, which Mike Shermer, uh, John Moreno, Lon Holloman, and I founded in 1982. So those were those were my lofty goals, and I I just 
felt that it was time to break out of that that uh, realm of conventional sports. So uh, off I went, and I found uh, good sponsorship, uh, specialized uh, Campagnolo um, were the were the bike sponsors. Um, let's see, we had Pepsi Cola was our was our main title sponsor and that also brought Wendy's uh we worked with uh Wendy's as well so we had we had enough uh we had enough funding to to buy the the necessary equipment to to put that project together um connecting with uh Gary Hooker and Dave Spangler helped because that allowed us to start building a race car that would do the job for us and we used the Vesco Streamliner, which was a 330-mile-an-hour world record-holding car. We redesigned yeah. it in a wind tunnel, and and essentially it did what it was supposed to do. It bored a hole through the wind so I could ride my bike as fast as possible in that uh, vortices. No, so that, that was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, cutting to the chase here with these, no. these events, but... But basically, that was what I wanted to do, all three of those events. The only one I wasn't successful with was the race across America, and that was because Lon Haldeman was a much better prepared athlete for that particular event. And he, he beat me soundly, and I accepted second place. But then I redirected uh, my energy toward the 24-hour uh, endurance record. Uh, because I, I realized I needed sleep. I just couldn't do what Lon and some of the other ultra-distance cyclists were doing. It just did not work for my body. Yeah. So 24 hours I can stay awake and I can go <laughs> uh, pretty much uh, mi- middle tempo, I would call it, for 24 hours. And, and that record, uh, I, I made three three attempts at that uh, with the they called it the Pepsi Marathon. Pepsi Cola yeah. came in as the the title on that one, and we went five hundred uh, four hundred and ninety miles, I think, the first year, and then five oh six, and then finally uh, the third attempt in Clearwater, Florida, on a quarter mile asphalt track. Uh, we went five hundred and thirty nine miles. So oh that was God. the that was my last attempt, and I don't think I've ridden much distance since then that was in 87 <laughs> that would break somebody's so, spirit for that kind of a distance anyway yeah well, well it, it broke mine at 22.9 <laughs> mile an hour average for 24 oh, wow. hours is is a pretty tough assignment absolutely I, think I was off the bike about nine minutes for the entire 24 hours oh, so God. I don't think I will uh, ever attempt anything like that again. <laughs> well, with age comes wisdom, I guess we could probably okay. say. Right? Uh, yes. Hey, you know, I would agree. Yeah. Well, our, our show talks a lot of great length about the state of American cycling and where we think it's going and where we think it, it where it's been. Um, how do you see the sport going, growing within the U.S.? Obviously, triathlon still on a very, very high st- uh, state. We we do a lot of events where we're traveling to triathlons, and the numbers just continue to grow. And um, personally, being being a cyclist throughout my entire life, I have a I have a concern about some of the grassroots efforts in cycling. Depending on where you are, do you see the sport growing in the U.S.? Do you see something happening in that in that realm? Uh, well, I do because it's the number one participant sport in America, and because of that, grassroots 
stance, you you have a tremendous fan support, yeah. and I think that part of it is growing. It might okay. might. Recognition of that uh, was 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 certainly uh, uh, clear at the uh, Pro Challenge in Colorado a few months ago. Uh, to see the momentum of, of an event like that, I mean Jim Burrell and his crew did a fantastic job. But it, it just you could see the the intensity in the in the uh, eyes of the spectators, uh, you know, lining the road just like Europe and and with a lot of excitement, just, just, it was feverish it, to see that kind of support, uh, for the sport in the first race, the first real tour. Um, wow. Uh, that was exciting. Yeah. So I was there pretty much as a spectator, uh, enjoying the competition. But I think, I think that, I think we're definitely going to see more fan support of, of professional road racing. Uh, the other thing that I think would certainly help is is to let the public see some real exciting track racing. I think track is a, is the other end of the spectrum that needs to be explored because it is it's so much easier to film it and to yeah. document it, um, and that that uh, is is something that really hasn't happened yet uh, to the extent that it that it that it could and should. So. Uh, it's funny, I, we just had this discussion. Bill Walton, who I spent four days with at the El Tour de Tucson this past weekend, okay. yeah. uh, he, he he asked the same question, and that was basically the same response I gave to him. <laughs> I learned a great deal about basketball, and he learned a great deal about cycling. So. <laughs> well, Bill's always been... He's always been a yeah, cycling he's fan. Been yeah. a cyclist. Yeah. I've known him for over 30 years, and he's always been a cyclist. But yeah. he's really starting to take an active interest in the sport, and and I think we're we're all doing that. Uh, and a lot of the events that I'm involved with, and and he's involved with, are charitable. Uh, what CAF is our is our main cause, and I do a lot of volunteer work with the the Blind Stokers Club here in San Diego, and and Bill is a is a real big supporter of the Challenge to Athletes Foundation. So I think ultimately uh, that can bring more people into the sport because you know we're all doing something good to help other people who are perhaps a little less fortunate, but nevertheless very active athletically. Yeah, and we are we are, I mean a sport that originally was founded as Mark my my co-host usually says founded on a on a kind of a working man's mentality has we have to admit become a sport that is extremely uh, unfortunately expensive to become involved in and um I mean especially in terms of junior junior athletes and how we can get kids involved in the sport. Um, are there any that you know of, or any any methods or any movements to kind of get the kids involved in that? Um, kid, well, kid, you know, at the event we just did in Tucson um, is a is a good example of something that I think uh, has really uh, crystallized cycling for a lot of kids. Tudinitu is a is a is a is a organization that helps uh, children who are who are in trouble, and you know we we were there. Uh, we all contributed to that, and 
Two to Need To is is one of um, one of the charities that benefits from El Tour de Tucson, and and uh, Richard D. Bernardis does a fantastic job with that event. I encourage everybody. We had eight thousand riders this 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 wow. weekend, and sixty three hundred of them were in the hundred and eleven mile. Uh, I will call it a race because it was a full blown race, wow. uh, uh, and the 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 uh, um, event. Uh, was uh, uh, one of the events that I really have focused on. I've stopped competing in in national championship competition to focus more on um, charitable events uh, and events like El Tour de Tucson, which are highly competitive. And and my uh, my good friend uh, Rasan Bahadi was the mm-hmm. dedicatee this year. And, oh wow. Uh, so we got to we got to uh, spend some time riding with him in the, <laughs> the actual race. I think Rasan finished thirteenth, uh, and I was sixteenth. Uh, oh wow! Okay. So it was it was a tough, tough ride as always, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, we we all enjoy it. I mean, and we're doing something good for other other people. So I I, you know, I just. That's want to encourage everybody to come out and ride El Tour de Tucson November okay. every year, just before uh, Thanksgiving holiday. Oh, great. Uh, every state in the Union was represented this really? year. Really? Wow. Yes. Oh, God. Hey, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to kind of go into your, into your business realm of the things, because our last episode of this podcast, we spoke at length about personalized coaching. We talked about... Um, the, you know what levels of the sport at, at you know who needs it when is it when is it something you need to be going and become involved in is it something for the beginning for the weekend warrior all the way up to the competitor and the elite athletes um, talk to me a little bit about uh, the John Howard performance sports and the and your, and your fit system and how you how you've incorporated that and who it really you know who are your clients and who does it work for well it's it's a it's a program designed uh, to um, be incorporated into bicycle shops, uh, uh, health care studios, just about any form of, of body work uh, practitioners we're interested in, in turning on to our method of fitting. Our system, uh, and I have several really good fitting uh, associates, Dr. Ernie Farrell up in Santa Barbara, uh, Stu Waring in Annapolis, Maryland, uh, Gina Portner in the Kansas, Kansas City area. Wow. Um, these these people have all seen the possibility of using body work as a tool in the fitting process. And we call our, our work FIT. It's an acronym for Fitness Training Technique and Equipment. And what we do is an initial assessment and mobilization. We're trying to find misbehaving soft tissue uh, that is slowing the cyclist down. And this is a real key to performance tuning. And it is outside the realm of every other type of bike fitting, which primarily hinges on mechanical adjustments. Well, that's, that's only a component of what we do. Our focus is on finding those those uh, points of, of entrapment in the human body that are affecting power output. I mean, we all want wattage. We measure through the CompuTrainer spin scan program 
uh, all of the important variables, uh, uh, wattage, uh, speed, heart rate, miles per hour. Uh, and then there's a whole separate scale of efficiency, meaning we're trying to break out the left uh, group of muscles versus the right group of muscles, wow, left, okay. left leg, right leg. And we try to yeah. find and split out torque and horsepower or wattage, I should say, uh, and so that we can figure out which muscles are misbehaving and not doing their share of the work. And that's, that's important. And then we put the uh, client on a table, do, do that assessment and mobilization, and it is not at all unusual to see a jump of 20 or 30 percent. Uh, in a single session after you open up those joint vectors so the muscles can do more work. Yeah. Uh, very, very exciting process. And and we don't we have never promoted it, never advertised it, but all of us are extremely busy just on the basis of word of mouth. Yeah. Uh, so what we do is unique in this in the bicycle industry and we certainly do get results. Um and that leads us to build a better training program because not only are we addressing uh, power output, we're also looking at range of motion, flexibility, and uh, correct biomechanical strength training. So that what we're doing basically is mimicking the precise motor action of pedaling. Everything that you do that uses the 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 biokinetic chain in rapid succession we're trying to replicate that with our with our flexibility and strength work and it's it's a unique process and i have every reason to believe that it that it will allow us to build a more precise program the the only drawback is it's a one-on-one process and it takes a fair amount of time to to be successful with it but we've taught our practitioners how to how to do it and they're all doing it with the same level of success that we are out here in California. So we're we're excited about building a a better mousetrap. I I think. So this is a concept where you obviously it's an ongoing process with your clients. It's not just simply setting them up and saying, okay, now you're good to go. It is something where it it is it's a regular, constant contact well, type of a contact. Concept? Precisely, Patrick. Yes. What what we're looking for is we're trying to find uh, a, a more linear uh, line of activation. We anything that detracts from a linear force vector is is causing a loss of power. So we try to line the the legs up in in perfect symmetry. We, we can, of course, with spin scan measure symmetry. We can figure out which muscles are, are, are not performing up to par. And with master cyclists especially, uh, the key areas are, are low back, quadratus lumborum, yeah. uh, uh, and I believe external hip rotators, uh, tensor fascia lata, um, uh, ITB. Uh, these are all areas that, that are very, very problematic for most master cyclists who, unfortunately, don't do nearly enough range of motion work. <laughs> so we try to tie that together with what the body actually does on uh, when when you're pedaling in a in a perfect concentric format. Uh, and there there are just a host of problems, as I as I mentioned, that that uh, are 
especially problematic for masters. And, you know, you can define masters the way USA Cycling does at 30 plus. And that includes a lot of us. Big demographic, yeah. Yeah, it it essentially means that cycling in the U.S. is a master's sport. Yeah. I don't think anybody could argue with that. So uh, these are the people that I deal with every day. And uh, the exciting thing is that we're seeing almost immediate results. And as far as their training program, the program that we write, it's very much based on their feedback to us. We ask them to tell us uh, what their goals and objectives are, and we we build the program around uh, a, a usable framework of range of motion and flexibility and, and and strength training. So when you mimic those that that precise motor action of pedaling, uh, you can start to do some pretty exciting things. And and it's as I say, very uh, exciting to see. Uh, these athletes excel in competition as a result of following our plan. Wow. Okay. Now, for those of us who are unfortunately not within the realm or the within the proximity of of some of the of some of your your trainers, some of your coaches, and things along that line, um, the 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 book Mastering Cycling is is are we going to get a taste of that, or is that just kind of a you know, tell me about the book itself. Well, you, actually, Patrick, you'll get more than a taste of it. Okay. There's, there's a fair dose of of what we do in Mastering Cycling, the, the, my new human kinetics book that just came out uh, last year. So I try to explain that, not, not in as much detail as we do, of course, when we're, we're coaching, but with the idea that if you follow this plan, you will see more success with your cycling. So the book is is fairly detailed in that it discusses uh, each of those components, uh, range of motion and strength training, as well as, as writing a training program. And a, a lot of the basic uh, material that we use is is incorporated right in that book. Wow, okay. Okay, now uh, I, I do Which have is to... available just about anywhere. Absolutely, right? exactly. Available, you know... We sell it on our website. It's you can get it anywhere these days. Okay, now that was I was going to say that was going to be my next question in terms of the availability of that. And the the region we're speaking about in terms of the uh, your John Howard Performance Sports uh, and the Fit System, where is that primarily consist of? I think you mentioned, and I apologize, several of the people involved. Um, what kind of a region for our listeners, being that we have kind of a global audience, where are they going to find it? Well, our primary practitioners uh, are located in in various centers. Uh, Annapolis, Maryland. Stu Waring at his his shop, Parvella. Or if you're European, Parvia. Uh, <laughs> that's that's in that's located in Annapolis. Uh, Stu is has a performance center there, and also a, an excellent bike shop. Um, that's that's one. Uh, another uh, would be Gina Portner, and she's in Emporia, Kansas, and she works out of the Kansas City area at a number of different facilities. And out here, of course, you get to work with me. I'm I'm in the San Diego area. Um, and Dr. Farrell, who is the co-founder of the Fit System, uh, he's located in Santa Barbara. So those are our primary. Uh, okay. Uh, folks. Um, 
I'm, I'm trying to. Well, there are there certainly are others um, that I would would point at, um, and I'm, I'm hard pressed to, to to pull many more names out of my hat. But I'll I'll be thinking about it as we talk. No, absolutely. And as, and what we can do is um, when I post the show, we can obviously post links to wherever those are available uh, through your website and through all those sorts of things. Uh, here, uh, of course, r- r- uh, one more, Rob Teixeira up in the Orange County area. Coach Rob uh, is, is, is one of our practitioners as well. Okay. So we have three in California and uh, several others throughout the country. All right. Uh, more are being certified all the time. Okay, awesome. Okay, you know what? And, and I, I, first of all, I promised you that I wouldn't take too much of your time in here. I'm already running long, but uh, but for, thanks for sticking with us, man. I appreciate this. Hey, you know, just I, I, I did have a listener queue in as as I was talking about the fact that I was going to have you online and and the fact and it's it's unfortunately I'm sure something we're all completely sick of discussing, but it is that of course that doping issue in in the sport and um, why. Uh, why, I guess, is the thing. And why is it now more prominent now than we had in the past? Is it What do you associate it with? Is it a testing? Is it the fact that uh, more there's more pressure on our athletes, that it's just an easier way, that drugs are better? I don't know. What do you think? Uh, well, it's, uh, it's certainly controversial, but yeah. I have always been a naturalist in this field, and I've, I've, I applaud the teams that are taking that uh, clean approach. Uh, uh, I, I, Jonathan Waters with with uh, yep. uh, with Garmin. Garmin yep. is the the one uh, coach uh, director that that comes to mind as as is having promoted that. So I, I I like his approach. I like the fact they have young athletes who are waiting in the wing and and they're being developed and and that's their that's your code. I, I, I think there are others, but uh, Garmin comes to mind as, as the one team that has, has gone out there and really promoted the clean approach. Um, and that, that is, you know, I, I, and at the same time, I'm glad myself that we were on such an infantile level that we were never in a position to be corrupted. And I, yeah. I, and I think the pressure, as you mentioned, uh, on, on these young athletes to excel and to be better than maybe their bodies were capable uh, was always a temptation. Um, we were just basically naive kids racing in Europe back in the 60s and 70s, and, and while we did enjoy some success, uh, we did win races in Europe uh, and, and ushered in the the era of 7-Eleven and Motorola and, and Postal on and on. Uh, we still were denied the the, the, the level of, of uh, director sportif and and, and uh, uh, I, part of it was the money issue. We just had no very little to work with. Uh, but in a way, in, in retrospect, I'm glad. I'm glad we were never put in a position of having to to, to try something that didn't fit our our code of ethics and perhaps would have hurt us down the road. And, I, and as I look at some of the, my contemporaries who were competing at the highest level, in a national, international, uh, 
frankly, I don't see many of them left. Either they're no longer living or they're no longer riding. So in my case, I still enjoy the bike. It means as much to me now as it did 30, 35 years ago. And, and I, I enjoy the, the fresh air and the blue sky as much as I ever did. And, and I think that's testimony to keeping it clean and, and uh, just enjoying the, the element of, 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 of fun. <laughs> You know, I think that's perfect. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna just say to all of our listeners, um, the website johnhowardsports.com. You can log on to there. You can find out about that the fit system, the power fit, the body fit, the pedal fit. You can find out where to um, obtain the book, Master Cy- Mastering Cycling, excuse me, and and all the things that John's got going on, including uh, reading up from his blog and all those sorts of things. Um, John, I told you Patrick, thirty. One, one last comment. Please do I, go. I, I would be totally remiss if I didn't mention Ralph Walker, who is our CEO in Wilton, Connecticut, and he is he is uh, one of our earliest uh, fit practitioners and and does quite a bit of work in the New York City area. So uh, I think I've included most everybody who's prominently doing the work now. So I didn't certainly didn't want to leave anybody out. Uh, that's uh, a, I put you on the spot. So. <laughs> I put you on the spot. And if there are any more, please let me know, and I'll mention it in in one of our shows just to get it out so people know where this where this kind of stuff is available. Because it's uh, you know I we, we as I said we talked at length about coaching and about the who it's for and what it's made for and this sounds like a pretty intense program so um you know that sounds pretty good deal uh john first of all thank you for your time and i appreciate having you on the show i've enjoyed it patrick thank you okay and there you have it john howard his website is johnhowardsports.com get on there check out things i know i talked about coaching last week but man sometimes when you hear it from the source it kind of changes your mind Great guy, great talk, and I appreciate the time from John, and there we go. In the Pack Filler Studios, my name's Pat Bolger. We're going to have Mark Hodgson on after Thanksgiving, and I know for a fact he and I are both going to eat way too much, so maybe we'll talk about diet, maybe we'll talk about training, or maybe we'll just sit back and sip a cold one. <laughs> we'll catch you next time, everybody.